Are you excited about Thanksgiving? I thought you might need a few tips this morning on Thanksgiving. Um, just a couple Thanksgiving ideas here. Best way to enjoy your veggies, because vegetables are a must on any Thanksgiving diet, I suggest carrot cake, zucchini bread, and pumpkin pie. That was, that was Jim Davis. Also, how do you get the best turkey? How can you get the best turkey? Well, last Thanksgiving, this individual said, I shot my own turkey. It was fun. Shotgun going blam. Everybody at the supermarket just staring. (laughs) Why track them down when I know where they are? Somebody I never heard of said, said that one. How good is mom's turkey? Rita Rudner said, most turkeys taste better the day after. My mother's tasted better the day before. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah. Boo, Rita, don't ever say it again. We don't like that. How can you best celebrate the day after Thanksgiving? I bet we have some Black Friday shoppers here. Well, one woman said, I approximated the Black Friday experience at home by hurling myself into the wall a number of times and then, and then ordering online. <laughs> well, indeed, Thanksgiving is a special holiday. It's a special holiday culturally. It's a special holiday for believers. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says that in everything... Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, let's begin this morning by giving thanks. Father, we uh, stop and pause this morning to give thanks to you, who you are uh, kind, and you've created us for a relationship with you. You put us on this world, a place where there's many things to enjoy, And we thank you for that. Thank you for family and friends. We thank you for this church, a place to gather and to talk about things that uh, are important. We pray that you might lead us today and uh, open our hearts to hear uh, what you want us to hear, to see what things you want to communicate to us. Thank you, God, that you are a uh, God that reveals yourself. You show us. Again, who you are, the things that will help us flourish. Through Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we're in the third week of a series called Can I Ask That? These talks have sought to answer questions being asked by our non-Christian friends. The first week we covered, how can we know God exists? Last week we covered uh, the question, if God is loving, why is there so much evil and suffering? In the world. Now, these questions are a bit outside of our normal realm as pastors, so we have been using other people's material to help us. This morning, a talk by a UK pastor named Andrew Wilson dealt directly with our question today. I'm going to repeat a number of the things that he said. Uh, He approached this subject, this, this delicate subject, very uniquely in a way that answers this question and at the same time, provides a model for uh, those of us that are veteran Christians to know how to engage with our friends outside the church 
many of whom uh, don't believe the Bible is God's word, and many of whom have strong opinions on this very controversial topic. And not only controversial is our question today, but man, it's incredibly relevant. The last two weeks, news everywhere from Hollywood to Alabama to the Supreme Court of Ohio makes this issue incredibly relevant. And it's because our question today deals with sexual ethics, rights and wrongs. And the question is this morning, why does God care who I sleep with? Or a related question might be, why should Christians, why do Christians judge the person that I choose or the people that I choose to love? Now, sometimes these questions, sometimes this question, relates to why an infinite God with much greater worries like poverty, disease, and war would care about my little private life. Sometimes the question is why are Christians so harsh and judgmental about the moral decisions of others? A more angrier version of the same question might be, Why are you shoving shoving your morality in my face? Sometimes we hear that question being asked. Are Christians harsh and quick to judgment? Sometimes they are. Sometimes we have been. Christians have and do get things often terribly wrong. And maybe one of you has been on the wrong end of that. And we grieve. We grieve. We should grieve. The unnecessary wounds that Christians sometimes give. But for Christians, showing love should never be the issue. It is important to say from the start this morning that whomever you are sleeping with, we love you and so does God. Hopefully, if you are a guest this morning, no one asked you this question before you came in. Our goal as a church is to be welcoming to everyone. The work that we do in the community, our food pantry, our free medical clinic, the tutoring. um, We don't ask this question before offering love and service and prayer to anyone seeking help. Now, of course, implied in this question, why does God care who I sleep with? Implied in that question is that he does care. And indeed, this is what the Bible teaches. Anyone who has looked at the Bible objectively and knows its teaching over the last 2,000 years understands the Bible really is quite clear that sex is for one man and for one woman inside the framework of a covenant. Therefore, that rules out men having sex with women who aren't married. It rules out men having sex with men. It rules out men having sex with women who aren't married to someone else. It rules out women having sex with men who aren't married. Women having sex with women. And women having sex with men who are married to someone else. It rules out sex with children. It rules out sex with non-consenting adults. And many people really struggle with this. Indeed, they hate it. Why should the Bible be so restrictive? Now, I also want to say here at the outset that none of this makes these sexual sins 
unforgivable. None of them move us beyond the pale of the capacity of God being able to forgive us. It's certainly true of me. Specifically in my life, between the ages of 12 and 15, I was really very spiritually lost. And I made some terrible decisions in this area. And when I reflect on those decisions, sometimes popular media does this. When I reflect on those decisions, I don't give myself a pass because I was young and because I was just becoming sexually aware. No. What I did was hurtful. I manipulated I objectified others. I hurt others. I broke God's boundaries. That is always wrong, according to the scriptures. But I've also learned, and it's good news, that I was not outside the reach of God's capacity through Christ to be able to forgive. Most of us need that forgiveness. So, having said those things, let me go back now to this question. So, indeed, if God does care... So the question is, why does God care? And the first thing I'd have you consider or ask you to consider, a question I'd ask you to consider is this. Everybody cares who people sleep with. Well, why should God be any different? We all agree that certain types of sexual activity are okay, but some are not okay. Everyone has a view. If I am married, and I am, and have sex with someone who is not my wife, all of you, and almost everyone in our surrounding community, would say that is wrong. That's objectionable. If I had sex with my sister, or a 12-year-old girl, everyone, without exception in this community, would say that is wrong. Everyone believes there should be limits. Why would God not care as well? You see, I think the real challenge is, the real question is, is why does God's view differ from ours? And by ours, I'm representing our current American culture. Why is God's views different than ours? Consider this second question. If there is a God, and if he has timeless ethical standards, and that would have to be the case, that's the very... Uh, part of the very definition of God. It couldn't be God if he did not have timeless ethical standards. Wouldn't you expect God to agree with every culture or every civilization somewhere along the line at some point? All civilizations, all cultures disagree with one another. Our own culture disagrees with itself. Think of how much we've changed. Our views today on sexual ethics are drastically different than they were 50 years ago. And I think we could safely conclude they're going to be drastically different 50 years from now. And our views here in America in relation to sexual ethics are radically different than most of the other world cultures. Civilizations disagree with one another in many things. For example, let me just tease this out a little bit more. For example, culture A might agree with God on sexual ethics, but struggles showing forgiveness, struggles showing grace, struggles forgiving others. 
Our American culture is the other way around. We love what the Bible says about forgiveness and acceptance and grace. But we hate what it says about sexual ethics. So I think we have to conclude that we should expect God to disagree with every civilization somewhere. Otherwise, what are we saying? Otherwise, we are left to say that God affirms everything that we believe and that all other cultures are wrong. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement to make. And why would we think that we are 100% correct? Think about this. It takes a lot of arrogance to say that our culture in this generation is right and all these other 5, 6 billion people are wrong. That's quite a stretch. The reality might be that is that we are wrong. And God and the Bible might be right. Now, having said this, this comparison of different cultures, it helps us kind of get to the base of the argument, the base of the conflict. The base of the conflict truly is this, is that our sexual ethics are based on what we believe sex is. It's based on our definition. And there exist today two very different narratives about what sex is. The cultural definition, the prevailing definition, is that sex is an enjoyable, physically intimate experience between two consenting adults. Therefore, it's just clear what follows. Any consenting adults can use it. The, in more traditional cultures, sex is seen as an act of union between two adults who are already joined in lifelong commitment to one another, which produces physical enjoyment, marital cohesion, and children. Therefore, it is restricted to couples, and historically, that has been between a man and a woman. And the reason is it because it was believed that they would provide the best environment and produce the best environment to raise children, to have children and raise children. Children, it was believed, needed the complementary balance of both genders. Much of the world continues to hold this traditional view. Now, the Bible agrees with this and actually takes it further. Saying marriage pictures the relationship of Jesus with his people and therefore captures for us the essence and goal of marriage. And I can say it just very succinctly by saying the goal of marriage is for one partner to bear the image of God to the other and thus to demonstrate mutual love and mutual respect and learning to love, learning to place the other's needs ahead of their own. And achieving not just quality, equality, but what the Bible calls oneness. The conflict going on in our culture about sexual ethics is a conflict over the differences in how we define sex. And then the larger worldview that we place it in. Okay? So, on the first question we said, everybody cares who we sleep with. So, Why would God be any different? And secondly, we said, if there is a God and he has timeless standards, we should expect him to disagree with us and every civilization. So we might want to back off being so confident that our views are correct. 
And it brings us to a third question that we ought to consider. And that is, why do we care so much? Why do we care so much? People around us place themselves under all kinds of tight restrictions. And they place themselves under tight restrictions to all kinds of things. Some crazy, some a little more sane. They sacrifice to all sorts of things to honor a higher authority or because an expert told them to. Some will abstain from alcohol. Some from certain foods or meat or even chocolate, my goodness. Or, or certain kinds of entertainment or places to live. This is a sacrifice to be made in order to fulfill a requirement or to honor an authority or to be part of a community. Though we might not make the same commitment, we understand why people do this. We appreciate their sacrifice and we don't find it necessarily, at least on the saner ideas, we don't find it out of place. But when Christians say that they restrict or the Bible restricts people that we can sleep with, People are not prepared, many people are not prepared to make this sacrifice. Why? Why is this? Why are people not prepared to give up who they have sex with? Why are they angered at even the suggestion? It may be that this reflects, as individuals or as a culture, that we hold sex to be the highest good that there is. The ultimate expression of being human. It could be that we've made sex something of a God. We have made it our highest authority. The thing to fight for at all costs. A right. Something that nobody else can challenge. Indeed, our highest authority. Now, very few cultures have come to that belief. You know, think about our cultural narrative. If maybe you're not... Registering with this. Think about our cultural narrative. If you're not having sex, that is regarded as the worst thing that could happen to you. Uh, Russell, again, our Andrew Wilson says here, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. Andrew Wilson, Andrew Wilson said, this is very pithy. He says that sex, sex is an identity marker. Sex allows you to sit at the cool kids table. If you're a single person and not having sex, you may be regarded as something of an enigma or worse, an outcast. When is the last movie you saw where a celibate person was seen as a hero? Can you think of one? You see, this cultural narrative is very different than what the Bible teaches. In the Bible, some of its greatest heroes were single and celibate. Uh, let's begin with Jesus and Paul. And according to their writings, they lived uh, like absolutely fulfilled life. In their day, to say that, to say that you could live a fulfilled life without sex was running incredibly uphill. The Bible's New Testament culture was very sexualized, much like ours today. It's the same today. To make that statement is to run uphill against the tide of culture. 
What the Bible does is something really radical. It bursts onto our imagination an entirely different way of seeing life. You don't have to have sex to lead a fulfilled and very happy life. These two narratives are polar opposite. Can you lead a fulfilled life without it? Christians would say, absolutely yes. Most Americans would say, no. You can never be a complete human being without it. To that story, to that narrative, that cultural narrative, we would say, the church would say, the culture is wrong, not the Bible. Sex is not needed to be a fully flourishing human being. It is not too high a price to give up in order to follow God or to become a Jesus follower. Following Jesus does cost some their sex life. It may cost them for a period of time for those that are single. And it may wrap back around for those that are single again. It will cost those who have same sex desires. Straight or gay man or woman. Jesus said that continuing in his love, abiding, remaining in his love, that was the source of a full life. And not from having the right sexual experiences or having an exciting sexual partner. Knowing Jesus, discovering your life purpose, knowing your ultimate destiny, knowing that you're forgiven, like the song that we sang, that Christ Blood can just wipe away every guilty stain. That's the stuff of overflowing joy. I'd like you to listen to a story. This is a, uh, uh, you'll love the accent. Listen to a story of a Jesus follower named David and how he discovered this exact same lesson. My name's David. I am from Sydney, Australia originally. I was brought up there and then moved over here to study theology at the University of Oxford. And now I work in Oxford, live there, and absolutely love it. It's great. You know, I had many, many boyfriends when I was growing up. My search for relationships was really extensive. You know, I started going out to Oxford Street in Sydney, which is the central kind of strip of of the gay world in, in Sydney, trying to kind of go to clubs and meet people. I think love was a rush. Love was like an intoxication with the other person and it it was a kind of escapism really from the context that I was in because I didn't feel accepted, I didn't feel understood. I would primarily define love, now that I'm a Christian, as self-sacrificial love, the kind of love we see on the cross. And that love is a passionate and romantic love, but it's ultimately first about giving yourself to the other and giving yourself up for the other. And that actually in that you find the most brilliant intimacy there is. The moment I became a Christian was incredible. I first experienced Jesus when I was in a pub in central Sydney in the gay quarter when a girl prayed for me uh, and I just felt this most incredible presence come upon me. It was like tingling, like oil on my head and it was just this love that I had never encountered before and I was completely gobsmacked, completely dumbfounded that this was real. It wasn't just a concept. The intimacy I experience with God now, it's like any relationship There's maintenance, there's things that need to happen. But I think the difference with 
the relationship with God is that he is always faithful and I can actually depend on him. And I think that's an incredible security that I have with him that I just wouldn't want to give up for anything. And so I think you can't find that in any other relationship. It's only in that relationship with God that I I have that and that, that really helps me to love others better love others in a deeper way of course i miss romantic relationships and on some level i miss sex yes but in another sense not at all because actually the search deep down behind sex in our society is a search for intimacy and when i was having those sexual relationships i was not finding very profound forms of intimacy in fact often that would separate me or distance me from people So I think I found the intimacy I was looking for in Christ and in in the church. What I love about being a Christian is that I get to share the most incredible news with people that they don't have to live up to a moral standard, that they don't have to climb this ladder. And I think a lot of people feel condemned and actually I get to share the news with them that they're not condemned when they receive Jesus and they turn away from sin or their old life, they, they're completely accepted, completely loved, completely brought into God's family and that there's no condemnation anymore. I love that. <laughs> you can listen to other stories like that on that Living Out, Living Out website. Really insightful things that he said there. So I come back to my original question then. Why does God care about who I sleep with? Because he cares about you. And because the Bible teaches that your body is sacred. Your body is not a throwaway. It's not something purely mechanical. Your body is not merely tissue. Your body is part of who you are and it matters to him. You matter to him. What you do matters to him. And yes, God is concerned with war and poverty and disease, but he's also concerned for you. And he wants you to truly flourish. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he has an intimate knowledge of you. That can be a terrifying thought. Until we realize that God also wants to be in relationship with you, to have a bond and a connection to you. That is real. That's why he created you. To share his love with you and to invite you into a community of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His rules are there to help you live within the design of how he made you. That's true freedom. To live within your design. Again, God loves people, and so do we. Straight, gay, faithful, unfaithful, male, female. Again, we've all sinned sexually. And so because God has been merciful to us, we're not trying to find out who people are sleeping with so we can yell at you. Ultimately, we want everyone to encounter the Jesus who took upon himself the sins of, our wor- of the world, including our sexual sins, 
taking advantage of others, manipulating others, objectifying others, and including our sometimes smugness and self-righteousness and judgmentalism. God took all of that upon himself on the cross and died for our sins. When we encounter Jesus, his love and power, there is nothing that we should not be prepared to give up in order to follow him. We really see him. And we see the plan he has for our life. We experience the love that he has for us, like David talked about. We recognize there isn't anything that's not worth giving up, including sex, in order to follow him. You see, he died for us so that we could be free from those very things enslaving us. He becomes the higher authority that we honor. And before him, we lay down all other gods and our rights. This morning, if you're, again, coming as one of our guests, or you're in this process of searching out who Jesus is, the first thing for you to do in this spiritual journey is to first address and to ask who Christ is and how you are relating to him. That's the first thing. Because knowing him gives us the power to turn away from our old life and to begin to make progress and begin to embrace a new life. After we have turned to Christ, then we can begin to understand what this means for my marriage and what it means for my sexual life. If you're not yet ready to come to Christ, we understand that. But please come back and continue to weigh this message. Again, we love you. We're really, really glad that you came. And for us that are a little bit more experienced or a little bit more veterans in the faith, again, what I've tried to show you today is a way to interact and engage others in our culture, often who don't believe the Bible is God's word and have very strong opinions about this very controversial subject. I hope you won't be silent, but you'll find a way to lovingly Interact and engage with people on these kinds of truths. Let's pray. Father, no doubt a message like this for some of us um, brings to memory, uh, brings to our minds a lot of painful memories. I know that it did for me. Father, I just pray this morning that everyone here could understand that everything they want in life, that search for intimacy, that longing to know that they're loved, the longing to have someone address the guilty stains in their lives, Father, what I want more than anything else is for everyone here today to realize that 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 is available to them in this moment. Because overwhelming, satisfying love, the ability and the heart to connect with you and connect with others in a way that brings fulfillment is the kind of grace that you pour into our lives. 
and the kind of happiness that will flow from it, God, for those of us that have just tasted a little bit. We know that it's real. We know that it's concrete. We know that it's powerful. It begins to change our very appetites as we begin to desire the very things you created us for, the things we were made for. Father, we tell you that for many of us, our appetites just went south. They got bent. They went the wrong direction. Thank you this morning that you offer forgiveness. You give us grace to, again, what the Bible calls repentance, to turn from an old way of seeing, an old way of living, to a new way of living. Though not easy and a road less traveled, a road by your power that we can walk on. I pray, Father, for um, maybe new friends this morning that have never, ever chosen that path, that they, even this morning, would say, I want to be a Jesus follower. And, Father, for those that are veterans, but maybe they've forgotten some of these things, that their love for you would be renewed this morning. That their appetites would be brought back into that, that place where they know how they can be truly satisfied in you. So, Father, continue to lead us now as we uh, enter into this final part of our service this morning. We are here for Christ and through Christ. And we give thanks to him. Amen.